The Startup to Scale Up Game Plan is brought to you by Alpina Search, Europe's premier talent search firm, dedicated to helping technology startups and scale-ups recruit high-impact executives. Now over to your host, Gary Riemann. I'm delighted to welcome Tony Jamus to uh, today's podcast. Tony is the uh, CEO of Oyster, a distributed talent enablement platform that allows growing companies to tap into the global talent pool to move really fast and hire great people anywhere on the planet, and also to offer remote workers globally a superb employment experience. Now, previously, Tony co-founded Nexmo, uh, a cloud communications platform venture, and he led them all the way to a $230 million exit in 2016. So, Tony, a very warm welcome. Thank you, Gary, for having me here on the podcast. Thank you. So, Tony, tell me, what inspired you to go out there and become a tech entrepreneur? Well, the what really inspired me to become a tech entrepreneur is this frustration with how the initially the telecom industry where I came from uh, was running. I was actually on the front line with customers, helping them um, deliver uh, a messaging experience for the user around the world, and that was very complicated. So I went to, I spent a year off actually learning about business. I was previously an engineer. And I realized, actually, you can do things better. Uh, and that drove me 10 years ago to start Nexmo, which was, uh, still is, a communication platform as a service. What were some of the toughest challenges that you faced in scaling up Nexmo? And how did those challenges influence your decision to go out and launch Oyster? Yeah, so they are. It's a, it's a good question because the story of Oyster is also linked to Nexmo because Nexmo was a global company and we had offices in, in 20 countries and really struggled to hire people in all these countries. But Nexmo by itself was a highly challenging experience because we had to, to build businesses in all these countries. We had to deal with telecom carriers around the world in over 150 countries and deliver this very simplified experience for software developers to 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 use these APIs and innovate with this technology. And this company, in, in five years, we moved from zero to $100 million of revenues. And as you grow that fast, many things actually goes wrong. So you have to kind of deal with these challenges depending on the phase of the business, whether it's an early stage business, where it's really about finding the first customer, time to revenue, how can you bootstrap the business, enable you to test the market quickly, fail fast. Then you move into, I would say, an acceleration phase. Once you have found the market fit, you have found a customer segment that resonates well with your value proposition, then it's really about acceleration of that phase. And, and really, at Nexmo, we found a, a market segment, a niche in the market that really liked what we're doing and they, they needed our, our APIs. These were the chat apps, the social messaging apps, the WeChat China, the WhatsApp of the world, the Viber, and they really needed access to the whole world of every phone in the world and they needed to use APIs to do so. And once we found that niche, 
we kind of doubled down on it. We hired salespeople in all these countries and we uh, we went and closed 80% of that market. And that has accelerated the growth of the company very rapidly in, in a matter of two years. And then we went and raised more VC money. And then we moved from, I would say, the third phase of the company was moving from one product to a platform of products or a portfolio of products. Uh, and that has its own challenges as well, because you were you have built the company to be to be the best in, in one area and suddenly you have to go and open up new market opportunities and that requires a different leadership style, a different company organization structure and be also ready to make a lot of mistakes as you develop these new products and launch them into the market. And lastly, it was next more, I think the interesting challenge toward the end was the exit path and how we we actually were um, so we reached $100 million back in 2016 of uh, annual recurring revenue, and our competitor was going public. Our competitor called Twilio, a very highly funded company in the Silicon Valley, and we were, we were not ready, actually, to go public ahead of them. Or at the time that uh, in 2016, we, we didn't have the organizational maturity to be a public company, so instead we decided to merge was a public company called Vonage and actually helped them accelerate the growth in their in their market cap. And that's kind of what you've done. And again, that's a challenging phase because you're uh, you're moving at um, 70% a year, you're growing at 70% a year, and you're merging at the same time with a public company that is 10 times your size and drive their market cap and have this kind of culture shock, kind of a, a software company merging with a a more established uh, company. That's also another uh, challenge we can we can dive deep into. But uh, but essentially across this phase of growth of Nexmo from early stage till exit and being a public company in a matter of six years, we faced many challenges on each of these uh, phases of growth. Were you disappointed that you weren't able to IPO? Were you sort of um, dragged, shall we say, by the VCs? towards an exit when you would perhaps have preferred to hold out another 12, 18 months and then IPO? No, actually, because if you look back, I mean, now looking back, I would say maybe because actually Twilio, when they went public, they went on a very high valuation that was much higher on a multiple level than than, than our valuation at that time. But Twilio was going public on Brexit day. So we were all kind of concerned how they're going to do. So we had to kind of fast track our, we have to de-risk the business. So what we've done, we sold the business partly for cash and partly for stock. And then we banked on the opportunity that we're going to drive the company valuation further. And in a matter of two years, we grew that from 1 billion of market cap to over 3 billion in just two years. So three times growth in, in their valuation. So, so no, I, th- I think looking back at this, I think this was the right approach from a financial engineering where from one hand, you're de-risking the business, you're taking some shifts off the table, but then keeping the upside that can give you even more opportunity down the line. And it was the right thing to do at that time. And we, we really wasn't pushed by, by the board. I've hired a, a chairman of the board that, that led the corporate development effort. And it was a, it was more driven by the context of the market. 
Now, Oyster has been launched at a time of growing social consciousness. Hundreds of companies across the globe have promoted uh, Blackout Tuesday after the uh, George Floyd killing. Many investors are looking to add businesses with ESG credentials to their portfolios. So what are the social aims that Oyster is looking to achieve? Oyster is making cross-border employment much easier and much cheaper than before. And as a result of lowering the barrier to this cross-border employment, we believe we can deliver impact in areas of wealth inequality reduction and and brain drain reduction. So just to give you some some numbers here, if today a company in in Western Europe or in the US and you find this great person you want to hire, just say in Egypt, just take a random example, uh, it's a country with over 70 million people. Uh, Many of them are are young and and soon will be increasingly educated in, in knowledge work as this world shifts to knowledge work, then if you want to hire that person in Egypt, then you either need to incorporate in Egypt, uh, which is uh, highly expensive, complicated, lots of paperwork. You don't want to really do that just to employ that person. Uh, Or you go through these, uh, uh, I would say, uh, professional services company that can employ that person on your behalf, but it costs anything between $1,000 to $2,000 per month. So if you're Twitter and you want to hire your country manager of Egypt, you can pay that, that fee, just the, 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 the administration of the employment fee. But many companies won't do this. So what, what Oyster does, it lowers the barrier to entry for, for any company to hire anyone in any country. And therefore, by doing so, uh, you give the opportunity for people in many emerging markets, great talent, with good education, to participate uh, with uh, in, in the global economy and to access opportunities in other countries that they wouldn't have access to without the service. So this is how we believe we can deliver impact and, and use software to lower this barrier and, and open up an opportunity for, for all these people and all these companies to tap into the global talent pool. Now, Oyster was created as a virtual organization from day one as a role model in a way for other organizations. So did you have that vision before the pandemic struck or, or did the pandemic really influence your vision? So I knew when I left Nexmo back in uh, 2018 that whatever company I'll start next, it will be a globally distributed company. And Nexmo was in a certain extent, we had, we had offices obviously in 20, 30 countries but we, we were successful because we were able to tap into the global talent pool. But I didn't want it to go through the same pain that Nexmo went through to set up all these entities and employ all these people. It was very expensive and cumbersome. And, and honestly, the experience of these people locally was, wasn't great. We had to kind of go country by country, understand the benefits we need to offer them and what kind of contracts we need to offer them. And and understand all the different payroll in all different countries. It was really, well, as a startup, it was kind of impossible. And and, uh, as we grew and became uh, a scale-up, it was very expensive and cumbersome. So I knew that whatever company I'll start, it's going to be a highly distributed company. And and this is how, actually, I I stumbled upon the Oyster opportunity because 
and that was mid 2019 before the pandemic i realized actually i needed a solution first whatever company i'll do i needed a solution to really tap into the global talent pool and provide my employees on the ground great experience in all these countries but i couldn't find uh, 10 years later uh, still that was a major issue in the world and nobody had really cracked it so i thought you know this is such as an important problem uh, in the world and um i'd like to give it my best shot for the next 10 years and this is how i i founded oyster actually in late last year um and we uh, closed a round of funding or seed round uh, uh, four months ago in the middle of the pandemic actually what do you see as the main benefits of virtual organizations for employees so there's many benefits i mean uh, it's been been it's been covered greatly in uh, press in the last uh, couple of months but for me what's what's really important is first the the quality of life of your employees you're not asking them to commute to an office they have more flexibility in their life and because you're working as an asynchronous way as a distributed company you're not expecting your people to respond immediately you're not expecting them uh, to be in meetings uh, all day long so so essentially we our work is done a lot uh, through documentation and Uh, we use a lot of tools like video recording to record meetings ahead of in advance so it gives the people the life flexibility they need for instance every day i spend uh, 45 minutes at uh, 11 a.m. here in the cet time zone in france to do some homeschooling with my daughter at uh, between 8 p.m. and uh, and 9 p.m. i'm i'm here when she wants to go to sleep and um friday afternoon i i just I don't have any meetings during that day during that time so I can I can freely organize my life in a way that creates flexibility and and expect that from everyone in the company. I think that's number one. Number two is because we don't do these meetings, live meetings and everything is done in an asynchronous way, we feel less anxiety to contribute. So people contribute without feeling the anxiety that you feel in a meeting. So I remember here at at Oyster my first engineering meeting I had was recorded. So my head of engineering spent some time building a nice video about the platform architecture and sent it around to the four people that are are relevant and then these people came back after 24 hours with very relevant feedback. Imagine if we had that that meeting in an office then everybody would feel that they have to say something and that that kind of create some weird group dynamics that we all had felt in in previous uh, office based meetings so overall it it actually reduces the anxiety of work and uh creates a more healthy environment for the business i think a third a third uh, benefit i see is the access to diverse talent along around the world So that that's actually companies that are hiring in one location don't have access to so the diversity of thought diversity diversity of culture cultural diversity uh, and different way of seeing the world I think we we greatly benefit from that at Oyster as we uh, kind of build this uh, fully distributed organization So there are a number of benefits and we've discussed those and yet many people and organizations seem to be struggling to adjust So for those companies 
adapting to the new normal of remote working and virtual teams. What are your top three tips? I think number one, it's not simply doing the same work in the same way that you would do in the office. You need to change the nature of the work and the nature of how you get that work done. So as you recall, I mentioned that we we use video recording, for instance. So for instance, any meeting that is not, it's a meeting where it's an information meeting, for instance. So use a different tool for it. Another example of how you can change the nature of the work is we, we, we document more everything. So less the knowledge remains in the business, even if people are in different location. You don't need to be in an office to, uh, to access to that information. More documentation would be another way how the nature of the work can change. That's kind of from the nature of the work. And then secondly is it's not only about uh, changing the nature of the work. You need to help the people to change how they work as well. So training and remote work. So we're actually developing a curriculum around that at Oyster. So we can help people become the best remote workers. So that's another area where companies could benefit from from an increased uh, ability to work uh, in in a remote way across across the company. So investing in your people's ability to adapt to this new reality, it's another another tip. And um, yeah, I think this is, you know, if you're changing the the way you work and you train and, and, and help your people to adapt, to this uh, new uh, new way of working, I think this uh, this is, uh, goes a long way to to help you uh, build a better business. Now you mentioned a few moments ago that you raised funding in, in the middle of the pandemic. How challenging was it to find investors who shared your social goals and, and truly resonated with your vision? I think the advantage of Oyster is that it is. Very quickly, investors realize that actually this business, the opportunity for Oyster will increase actually with the pandemic. We thought before pandemic that it's going to take us three to four years and millions of dollars to go and convince C-level people to actually tap into the global talent pool. The pandemic did it for us in two months. So it was an unfortunate learning for the world that uh, remote work might be actually a better alternative than asking your employees to come to the office every day. But, but we, we got there much faster than we thought. Uh, so it was, uh, it wasn't, uh, it was actually, I mean, any fundraising is challenging, but, but in this specific case, it actually helped us to accelerate the closing of the round. Sure. So the pandemic helped you with the close, so you're one of the relatively few businesses out there to be able to say we've had a direct boost as a result of the pandemic. But in terms of the social goals, finding investors who not only believed that you had a, a business model that could be successful, but who resonated with this goal of, of improving society as well. Was that was that challenging to find people with the same mindset as you, rather than people who just look at this as a technology play and a revenue growth and ultimately an exit play? That was a challenge, actually, to find investors who who, who resonated well with that with that view and had a realized actually 
there's a new wave of companies that are coming that has a much stronger alignment between their social mission and their business model. I call this Impact 2.0. Early on, I biased my, my fundraising strategy towards these kind of investors. That being said, I think at least 60, 70% of investors out there were, I would say, not necessarily interested in that in that angle. They would invest because there was it's a great business on its own without the social impact. They had no necessary condition that the business had a social impact direction and, and goals as well as 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 good uh, a good return on investment. So, and actually, that's one of the reasons why we we picked uh, the investor we picked because the, these investor, the lead investor, is uh, Connect Ventures here in in the UK because they insisted on that. They insisted that the company they back have some sort of social impact component into their business model. And they are themselves backed by social impact investors and LPs. So that was uh, uh, one of the criteria through which we looked at the fundraising process. So that was technically a, a seed round when are you looking to go back into the market and, and raise your Series A? We thought we will spend 12 to 18 months before looking for, for the next round. And you know, since the, the pandemic, we kind of built our plans to extend our runway. However, since we've launched uh, three months ago, we've announced our funding. Uh, we realized actually that the opportunity might be much bigger than we thought. And obviously, the pandemic just made it made it much bigger. At the moment, we we are thinking as a result of that, uh, we're thinking to accelerate our Series A. So in Q4, we're going back to fundraising. So you're staying on the fundraising treadmill throughout the whole of 2020, although you may have a, a breather for for the summer months. What's your vision for the future then? What will Oyster have achieved by, let's say, June 2025? I think how we measure the, the achievement and the success is in twofold. One is in growth and second is an impact. And they are in our business, we are we are fortunate to have them aligned. So we would have uh, reached a sizable amount of revenue, I would say in the over over fifty million dollar of annual recurring revenue. But the way we're gonna reach that revenue is also important. So we need to have enabled people around the world to have access to that opportunity, especially in emerging markets, and actually lift their income as well compared to the average in their market and in their country and, and, and function. So if, for instance, we have made, uh, if we have made these 50 to $100 million just by employing people in, in, in Western, uh, that wouldn't be uh, on its own a success. It has to be focused as well as lifting the talent from these emerging markets and increase their their income and their access to the opportunity and increase their employability as well. Now, hopefully, with your business growth and with your social impact, you'll be inspiring a lot of other entrepreneurs and, and up-and-coming entrepreneurs. Who are the tech leaders who've most inspired you over the years? Who would you love to be compared to one day? There's many people that that are uh, inspiring. I mean, in the in the tech in the tech world, uh, uh, I mean, you have a great leadership and and thinking from the um, people like Bill Gates and and Elon Musk and having a, 
a grand vision and, and going after delivering that. I think these are a lot of inspiring uh, folks for me. There's no shortage uh, of people in, in the tech world that are doing great things and, and using technology to uh, to make a difference. I think there's uh, I would be less inspired, let's say, by entrepreneurs who are building the next video game, but more uh, entrepreneurs who are building something that that can have a, a positive impact. I think that's uh, that's kind of uh, more inspiring. I shall have to share those thoughts with my uh, my young lad who's thinking about his career, and I mean, he's tempted towards video games, but maybe he'll listen to you and, and take a slightly different direction. Oh, you can make a lot of money in video games. <laughs> yeah, I think that is also what's attracting him. Are there any business books that you really highly rate that have shaped some of your views on on how to successfully run a business? The one I uh, uh, I recommended to my previous company, everyone that joined would, would read that book is is called Leadership and Self Deception, and and it's kind of easy to read, small book. Uh, it's more like a story to read but it kind of goes into the fundamental of leadership and it's more about self-management uh, first and foremost i think that that would be a great short books i would recommend leadership and self-destruction brilliant self-deception <laughs> <laughs> okay disruption okay <laughs> thanks for the clarification there i should check that out on uh, on amazon tony it's been Wonderful having you on the show. A timely reminder that social impact could drive many business and technology trends during the next few years. Thank you, Gary, for having me. This episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan was brought to you by Alpina Search. Head over to www.alpinasearch.com for advice on scaling your technology startup and recruiting high-impact senior talent. 